0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Core.Green. you know you can kill 99% of COVID-19 in your existing HVAC very easily and not very expensive? Check it out at Core.Green. Well, today we have a very interesting show for you. We're gonna talk about the office market and in my mind, the office market is the most interesting sector in all of commercial real estate right now. You know, if you think about, you know, industrial's been doing great, multifamily's been just really hanging in there. Then you look at the bottom end hotels, obviously in the in the tank right now. Retail having its struggles, but when you look at offices, kind of in the middle, what is really going on? What's the future look like? Please welcome my guest, is Michael Rossell. He's uh, with Director of U.S. Office Analytics with CoStar. Michael, good to see you and thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, Michael. Good to be with you again. Well, Michael, you have the uh, greatest greatest position right now in my mind. I mean, I think everybody in the world should want to talk to you and hear what you have to say because, I mean, uh, like uh, everybody's involved in office in some way and you look at office, uh, it's just so crazy right now with so many buildings empty, what, what the heck is going on with office, Michael? Yeah, that's a, that's
1: a great question. And uh, I, I think, you know, looking back on 2020, uh, it was quite a year. Uh, it was really the tale of two years, I would say. You know, the first uh, couple of months of 2020, saw vacancy rates hovering near historic lows, absorption was positive, there was strong investment volume. And then we hit mid-March and uh, everything kind of shut down there. You know, while the office sector was one of the more resilient asset classes early on in the pandemic, you know, cracks did emerge as we went later into the year. We saw leasing and transaction volumes plummet while sublet space soared to record levels. But I will say investors may be growing more bullish as vaccines are being released. And, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel now. Mm -hmm. And though the annual sales volume was the lowest it was in nine years, it did increase every quarter since mid year. So that was a bright spot as we, as we, you know, headed into 2021.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting because um, I, I had a lead a team that sells office buildings and we've been really active with medical office, with government leased office, um, but we haven't done a lot of just normal office, you know, uh, regular office, I guess, mm-hmm. if you will. So, you know, what do you see in like the regular office market? I mean, we see a lot of buildings with no tenants in, uh, in the <laughs> central business districts. Sure. Yeah, I think,
1: you know, even though uh, space utilization remains, you know, pretty low across the country due to various shutdowns and, uh, you know, people just worried about the safety of commuting by public transportation or whatever the case may be, uh, rent collection rates are still, you know, they're stabilized to pre-pandemic levels. So while tenants aren't physically occupying the space, they are still profitable and able to pay the rent to eventually have a return And really, you know, I think, as I mentioned, you know, Q4 levels uh, really increased. And I uh, I think those levels got a further boost in terms of investment volume by the announcement of positive vaccine news in early November when first indications from Pfizer came out about the success in their vaccine trials. And many office REIT stocks actually saw a significant pop in share price coinciding with that news and investment volume in the fourth quarter ended up doubling the depressed total that we saw in mid-year. And I think while it was still well off the pace uh, of historical uh, year-end totals, that increase we saw in the fourth quarter uh, shows that capital is increasingly coming off the sidelines as I think investors are betting that herd immunity will usher in a return uh, to office use. And I think uh, those green shoots are further evidence by many of the top markets which attracted investment volume during the fourth quarter. So the majority of the top 15 markets saw volume either match or exceed their prior two-year average. And tech hubs like Seattle and San Francisco had a particularly solid end to 2020, as well as Sunbelt areas like Dallas, Phoenix, and Raleigh, which also saw good rebounds. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think uh, there were a couple of deals that did close while, you know, the large... $100 hundred million dollar and, and above deals uh, you know were certainly down by about forty percent compared to their five-year average. Uh, there were um, you know several handfuls that did close. And I think the main theme among uh, the transactions that did close, um, you know larger, mid-size, they all have a lot in common. And what that was is investors were looking for high caliber trophy assets with strong credit tendency on long-term leases. And those deals were trading at pre-pandemic pricing. You know, there wasn't this distressed fire sale uh, of assets that we saw following the Great Financial Crisis in 2009. Pricing has really been very stable throughout the year, and I think you know a lot of that has to do, which we talked about, rent collections remain high, so owners remain well capitalized, and this time around, lenders remain well capitalized. You know, it's not the Great Financial Crisis. This is really a pandemic-induced crisis. So instead of Disposing of assets at distressed pricing, you know, it's often a much better alternative for both the owner and the lender to refinance at historically low interest rates than dispose of the asset at distressed pricing.
0: Yeah, I mean it makes a lot of sense. Uh, um, we're working on you talk about the large deals. we're working on one that's just a little over 100 million. Nice area. Um, and we're getting great interest except for the requirement to assume a CNBS loan. Uh, we're getting real good interest. And we just took out a little deal, 8.6 million West Palm Beach, fully occupied, and we're getting it's my first non-regular office, I'd say, uh, it's in, since COVID, and we're getting a lot of activity on it, so it's interesting to see the investors kind of coming back and, and being comfortable with some of these assets. Michael, tell us about performance overall on office uh, as you've kind of trended down through through 2020. I know there's a lot of sublease uh, that's come on the market, but you know those are still paying rent right for for yeah so they're still paying rent what have you seen uh, occupancy do uh, as it trailed through 2020 uh,
1: yeah you know we, we have seen um, a steady rise in the vacancy rate uh, across the country uh, we uh, the vacancy rate ended up 2020 uh, surpassing 11% for the first time since i believe 2015 and that was a time when vacancy rates were actually on a downward trend as we were uh, improving coming out of the great financial crisis. So I think really we saw uh, a historic drop in absorption in 2020. So uh, it wound up being about negative 75 million square feet for the year, which was the worst total we saw in about 20 years since the dot-com bust in, in, in the early 2000s. And really, uh, leasing uh, was down as well. I think leasing velocity ended the year at about 270 million square feet, and that represented a 40% drop from 2019, and was also nearly 15% lower than we saw on the bottom of the great financial crisis in 2009. And I think a decade ago, it was a little bit different. Forward looking firms with solid balance sheets were able to take advantage of the steep rent cuts during that period to either move up to higher quality space that had been unaffordable to them or lock in early renewals at highly discounted prices. And this time around tenants largely opted to hit pause unless they were faced with an immediate lease expiration. And even then many opted to kick the can down the road via short term renewals. So I think many tenants are still evaluating the cost savings versus culture erosion dynamic brought about by the, by the work from home experiment. Mm-hmm. And I think even few have been willing to spend their own capital on major redesigns of their office space because there really, there still isn't full clarity as to whether the layouts and designs necessary today during a pandemic will be necessary and still functional in 12, 24, 36 months. So I think there's still kind of a big pause of, uh, of tenants and employers trying to figure out what to do going forward. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, many firms opted to, uh, to do the exact opposite of expanding uh, in 2020, and they flooded the space with sublet space. Yeah. Uh, sublet additions, you know, rapidly accelerated during the year. And at year end, there was a record 190 million square feet of sublease space available. And that represented a nearly 100 million square foot increase from the end of 2019. Ouch. Yeah. You know, major markets certainly fared worse than others in that regard. You know, New York saw the largest nominal increase in sublease space, but the 6 million square feet of sublease space that was added to the market in San Francisco last year represented a staggering 126% increase. So I think, you know, while tech hubs such as Seattle, Austin, and San Jose all saw elevated sublet additions, it wasn't just limited to those techy areas. You know, markets with more traditional fire sectors like Chicago, Atlanta, and Philadelphia also saw sh- uh, firms shedding space at, at record clips. You know, there was an example: uh, the insurer State Farm put its entire 340,000 square foot regional office in Pennsylvania up for subleases. They decided to move to a permanent work-from-home strategy, um, but. Despite that, there were still major deals that were signed around the country. And I think uh, in 2020, it was really a story of the haves and have-nots, where you had tech startups and retail-focused tech firms either downsizing or folding, and the tech behemoths rapidly expanding. You know, Amazon signed for more than a million and a half square feet across two towers in Bellevue, Washington. You know, that's part of their plan to leave the Seattle area. They've been on a slow exodus out of there as the city council in Seattle has really been targeting Amazon with uh, payroll tax incentives. So they've made a conscious decision to leave Seattle and go to a a more tax-friendly environment in Bellevue. And then we saw Facebook committing to lease about 740,000 square feet at the Moynihan Station project in New York. And that deal increases Facebook's uh, footprint in New York alone to two million square feet. So, you know, we have these large uh, tech firms that have said, you know, some proportion of their, of their employees may be able to work from home uh, in perpetuity, yet they seem to be doubling down and expanding at as rapid a pace as it was before the pandemic. So clearly they believe in the future of office space.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think they should. I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, it was it state farm that uh, moved out of Pennsylvania and, and quote unquote permanent work from home. I, I tell you, when somebody listens to this show a year or two years from now, I think that word permanent will sound crazy. I just think the the challenges with that will come uh, to roost, uh, and that will change. I think uh, these companies will realize that for recruiting and retention, and and culture, and um, security of their information, and for uh, innovation, productivity, uh, competition, uh, and 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 people's careers. Uh, to advance their careers, I think uh, that, that's going to change. I think that while it looks some office uh, leaders that, that lead companies think right now that maybe they can work from home, I have a feeling that's going to change in a, in a big way. I want to ask you, uh, we're talking with Michael Russell with CoStar, the office expert there at CoStar, and Michael, when you look at the vacancy, the occupancy and vacancy rates in some of these buildings, uh, markets around the country. Are you seeing any trends from A to B? You know, you'd mentioned that in the past uh, downturn, sometimes these companies moved up to higher quality. And also, are you seeing any um, trends in your numbers uh, based on Suburban uh, versus CBD? Is Suburban really uh, doing better or is it just kind of a thought right now?
1: Yeah, I think those are all great questions, Michael. And, and uh, before I jump into that, I, I, I want to agree with you uh, about what you were saying uh, in terms of the permanence of a remote work strategy. I completely agree there. And I've been telling, uh, telling our colleagues uh, the, the same thing, really echoing your statements that, you know, the sense of permanence may not be permanence. There's nothing that's going to prevent these firms from jumping back into office space in two to three years. If they find out that the company culture is eroded, that productivity has gone down, And that particularly their younger employees who desire mentorship and exposure to mid or senior level executives really aren't finding they're getting that and have a sense of being unfulfilled in their career. So, you know, just because companies may opt to go permanently remote now, uh, it doesn't preclude them from changing their mind in a couple of years. So, uh, But to get back to your question uh, about CBD versus suburbs. We really haven't seen uh, noticeable shifts out of the CBD in the suburbs. Again, and that goes, I think, to the great pause that's occurring. You know We just haven't been seeing a lot of activity period. Uh, in terms of sublease space, you know it hasn't been limited to just high-rises uh, in the CBDs, because of that 190 million square feet of sublease space that's available that I referenced earlier, about 67 million square feet of that is in the CBDs. However, about 70 million square feet of that is in suburban areas. So, you know, it's not uh, an overwhelming CBD problem. It's, it's really been widespread. And, uh, you know, we just haven't seen an exodus in terms of tenant relocations from the CBD to the suburbs, you know, and that's really a function of of the mechanics of office leasing, right? Mm Uh, you know, you may see quicker shifts in multifamily because you're operating on generally a, a 12 month lease. But when you're dealing with 10, 15 or 20 year leases, it's very difficult for the market to change on a dime. And if you have seven, eight, 10 years left, you know, on your lease, it's very difficult to break that lease, to move from the CBD to the suburbs and still retain any sort of credit that a landlord would accept to, to lease office space to you again. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I, I think this is a, a short term, relatively short term pandemic, hopefully, that uh, we're, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and i think you know a lot of firms aren't aren't doubling down that you know we're going to be dealing with this and the uh, the norms and the protocols that that we all have to you know operate under today are going to be what we operate under in a year two years or five years from now so uh, we really just haven't have noticed that that shift that reverse migration if you will from what we've been seeing over the last decade
0: have you are you seeing any trend yet michael from um a to b or any are those property types uh uh, behaving any differently? You know, the the only somewhat surprising um,
1: trend I've noticed was regarding absorption, whereas a decade ago during the great financial crisis, the majority of negative absorption occurred in Class B and lower or three-star and lower buildings. And this time around, that spread to the four- and five-star Class A sector. So there was a, really a, a tremendous amount of negative absorption, particularly at year-end, in that class A sector. So, you know, again, you know, it seems that during the financial crisis, if you got through the initial couple of months, realized your business was going to be stable, you were going to be in business, you know, for the next couple of years, you took that opportunity and took advantage of the steep rent cuts to lock in deals or upgrade your space or expand. This time around, even though, you know, office tenants by and large are still well capitalized you know, you're performing working at home or, or wherever the case may be, uh, there hasn't been that decision to take advantage uh, of potential deals in the market that we saw the last time around. And I think also, you know, that speaks to, to what's going on in the rent trends we're seeing around the country. We haven't seen the extraordinarily steep rent cuts, uh, asking rent cuts uh, so far that we saw last time around during the great financial crisis. And we really don't expect to see them going forward either. Certainly, we can, we'll see a continuation of rent declines, moderate rent declines over the next couple of quarters, but nothing on the scale of what we saw following the, the Great Recession. And I think landlords and owners probably learned a good lesson 10 years ago from those steep rent cuts and have decided not to repeat that lesson. And it, you know, it was really you're going to devalue your building for the next 10, 15, 20 years yeah. if you aggressively cut your rents and lock in long-term deals there. So now it appears the preference is to give generous TI and free rent concession packages in lieu of those steep rent cuts because you're know, really, you probably worked out with your lender to set a pool of money aside for those concessions during your lending agreement. So you're not necessarily having to borrow extra money now or dip into your own pocket to give elevated concession packages. You could take that one term write off and not severely devalue your asset. So, tenants also, conversely, aren't seeing those 20 to 30% rent cuts nowadays that we saw maybe 10 years ago. So, you know, part of it is, is a hesitation to make a long term decision just yet. And part of it, there aren't as phenomenal uh, uh, deals um, to take advantage of as we saw a decade ago. Yeah.
0: And that free rent upfront uh, incentive is, uh, works really well for tenants, I would think, right now, right? They may be concerned about the immediate future, but obviously if they're leased in space long-term, they they know they're going to be around, right?
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. And, uh, you know, I I think additionally, even though sublet uh, space has risen to record levels, you know, it's often not a direct competitor to direct space, you know, unless it has significant term left and the build out is, you know, really good quality And it suits a particular tenant who's looking because, you know, typically sublet space doesn't come with concession packages or large concession packages to rebuild out the space. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not really competitive. So while sublet space may be at a 20, 25% discount to direct, it's not truly a direct competitor. A lot of it is smaller. The fit out may not work for for a lot of tenants. And there may be 12, 24, 36 months of term left, which uh, often isn't that appealing.
0: Yeah, yeah and subleasing uh, space uh, as a tenant had, had to take some uh, precautions there too. I, uh, I wrote an article for your, I guess, sister company, I would call it, LoopNet uh, uh, on, on uh, some tips on, on subleasing space for tenants. Well, Michael, so moving forward, and, and I'll put a link to that in the show if anybody's curious about that, but Michael, moving forward then in, in 2021 and 2022. Uh, overall, what what do you expect moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think uh, early on uh, here in 2021, we're likely looking at, uh, at a general continuation of the trends we saw in late 2020. So we could see uh, a further slight acceleration in transaction volume. Uh, but really, I, I think it's, it's dependent upon the rollout and adoption of vaccines by the public. And the quicker that happens and the quicker we can get back to normal, the quicker the office sector is going to get back to normal. And I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you exactly when that would be. Is it going to be June? Is it going to be October? Is it going to be December of this year? Uh, I don't know. Uh, if, I, if I had to take an educated guess, I'd say probably the second half of this year, uh, we could start getting back to normal and, uh, and firms will be in a better position to start making long-term real estate decisions again. Uh, you know, again, I you know, we see vacancy rate uh, peaking at about 12%, which is, you know, still below uh, the levels that we saw during the Great Recession. You know, one thing that's helping is a restrained level of new supply. Uh, so again, going, looking back 10 years ago, there was an extraordinarily high level of new supply and a lot of that was spec. And this time around developers have been much more restrained. There's been much more, much fewer speculative developments Uh, that are in the pipeline and also the levels of construction are much more manageable. There's only less than 2% of total stock in the US that's under construction right now. So fairly manageable supply pipeline. And I would say that, you know, the trend that we saw even prior to the pandemic of absorption being dominated by top quality class A four and five star buildings may even accelerate going forward as you know, tenants look to buildings that have the latest in health and safety protocols, the most modern HVAC systems. So we may see an even further uptick in the top quality spaces as we go on. Uh, In terms of of pricing on the investment side, again, we we don't see uh, a steep drop. Uh, Right now we're forecasting some negative growth for the next couple of quarters, pricing dropping somewhere in the three to 4% range. But again, nothing like we saw last time around. As we talked about, there's still a lot of liquidity in the market. Lenders are well capitalized, uh, and there is a lot of capital on the sidelines that you know is going to come off because people are looking for yield. So whether they're true believers in the future of the office sector, or their pension funds or REITs that need to allocate a certain percentage of investment to the office sector, I think we're going to see that continue and continue to ramp up through 2021.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and I've uh, Michael. I'm wondering when you're talking to the other analysts in the other sectors, um, do they look at you and go, "Michael, you got the toughest job right now." <laughs> yeah, for
1: for once, uh, you know, I'm very popular. Everybody wants to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> office was always considered kind of the boring, really stable sector for the longest time, and
0: uh, all of a sudden, this last year, uh, I'm getting a lot of lot of invites. Well, it's interesting. You know, to your point earlier, I think, uh, you know, the thoughts about the demand and the peak demand and the value uh, to tenants of office space, I think, uh, is really going through some changes and we'll go th- through some more changes. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, seems logical is that some of these tenants uh, will want all the benefits of having their people together and they might want more space to, to socially distance. I know. At our office, uh, we have an absurd amount of square footage per person—a little over 500. But everyone feels really comfortable. No, not everyone, but a lot of my people feel very comfortable being here. I mean, do you think that could be something that t- t- could help the market moving forward? I do,
1: and uh, and really, I, I think there was a, a growing sense and consensus that even prior to the pandemic, the pendulum had really swung too far in terms of densification. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. I've walked through several different office uh, floors with open benching concepts, and eighty five percent of the employees there are wearing noise cancelling headphones. you know it's very difficult to concentrate and collaborate when you have eight phone calls going on around you and somebody playing ping pong behind you so it's uh you know i I think there's a feeling that that we have gone too far and we we're moving away from that and I think you know health and safety um, protocols that are currently in place will will Maybe further accelerate that trend. You know, we may not get to the 250 square foot uh, per employee that we saw, you know, a decade or two ago. But you know, I think we are going to move away from the ultra densification because you know it really didn't increase collaboration. It, it was just people trying to be able to focus. So I think it had the opposite of, of the intended effect. And really, long term. Even if firms do shed, you know, five, 10% of their office space uh, by shifting s- some portion of their, uh, of their workforce remote, you are still going to have people, you know, cycling in and out of the office. The concept of the hot desk and those sharing arrangements, um, you know, that, that wasn't favorable for a lot of employees even before the pandemic. People would have to come in and take the Clorox wipes and wipe off the mouse and the computer. So that wasn't, that wasn't a big uh a big seller even before this, so you know I, I don't think there'll be a lot of sharing that continues on in the future. And then again, even if there is some reduction of office space long term, we have to look at population growth in the U.S. And if companies do start to expand and hire more people, uh, you know you're going to have more people cycling in and out of the office. So that may be kind of a, a natural buffer or an equalizer against any uh, any losses we may see in the office sector. Again, that's very long term.
0: Yeah. Yeah and I think eventually a lot of these companies will realize that look the cost of their people and the cost of the turnover and lack of productivity and culture is a lot more expensive to these companies than their office space. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, and that's one reason I've always believed in having a very nice office, very spacious um with private offices and things. Yeah, do I spend more than my competitors on office space? Yes, but maybe I get less turnover, maybe I get more better people and i think that's what's just going to happen uh, especially as uh, when the job market starts strengthening and, and people have more options again uh, of where to work yeah and i think by and large
1: uh, you know a lot of uh, people that i've talked to want to return to the office you know they're tired of being at the kitchen table with the dogs barking the the kids screaming your spouse working right next to you on a competing phone call you know, you want to get back to the office you you want to have that productivity you want to have that collaboration that spontaneous collaboration instead of you know scheduling a zoom call 3 days in advance you could you know lean back to your colleague and uh, and just bounce some ideas off, off of them immediately or and just that socialization of human contact of being able to run into somebody at the uh, the coffee machine or the water cooler and talk about the game last night and that may lead to a to a conversation or or an idea for you know, for, for whatever your business may be. And I I think people are just yearning for, for that socialization.
0: Yeah. And I tell you, just dealing with the companies and a lot of people that we deal with that work from home, the, the productivity, the speed, everything is just, just, it's just not there. Um, So, well, it's going to be interesting uh, moving forward. And Michael, thanks for, for your uh, outlook as usual. It's fantastic. And uh, I know everybody appreciates hearing from you because this office sector is uh, really going through some changes. So thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me on the show today, Michael. Always a pleasure speaking with you. All right. Thank you. And if you like more, uh, visit costar, uh, dot com and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, what's going on in your market and uh, what, what do you think is going to happen with Ixp? What do you think? Are people going to really uh, not want to, uh, have to be in the office again? Uh, do you think it's going to come back strong? Uh, Let us know what you think through social media or commenting on the show. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more.
2: Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.
0: Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. You know, in this day and time, we're all trying to have a safer environment, a healthier environment. And what if there was a device that you could put into your heat and air systems, that would create more safety, that was also efficient, helped your efficiency, and was very cost efficient. Please welcome my next guest. It's Michelle Murdoch, and she's with Core Green Technologies. He's joining us here in Studio One. Thanks for joining us.
2: Absolutely, thanks for having us.
0: Well, you know, today, and where we are here at, uh, everybody wants a safer, more healthy environment. And um, you have a product, that can be put into HVAC systems that seems like it's pretty easy to, to put in and do. Tell us about this
2: product. So um, it's a technology called needlepoint bipolar ionization, and it's not new. It's been around since Einstein discovered it decades ago. Um, It came to the U.S. in the 70s, used in food manufacturing to control pathogens. So it's been around for a really long time. They've been using it primarily in the last 10, 12 years, um, focusing on reducing the amount of outdoor air that has to come in. So to meet ASHRAE standards, um, they use... Technology like this and it allows them to lower the amount of outdoor air that comes in because it is already providing clean air So this is um, this device actually recreates a natural process that you find up in the mountains People tell you to go get you some fresh air. They don't tell you to go inside to do that, right? You go outside. Um, the further away from a city you go, the fresher the air, the cleaner the air. How They're... does it
0: do it? What's it using?
2: Okay. So the air, um, the sun actually creates ions. Um, oceans create ions. The rain, after a rainstorm, if you ever notice, it just smells really fresh. Right. They're creating ions. They're negative and charged and positive charged ions. And these ions are like little air scrubbers. They go around and they just attach to molecules and germs and any pathogens that um, you know they can pull a molecule or a uh, neutron or an electron from. Um, and the way that that works up in the, the mountains is it's just simple. The, the rays come down, they're you know hitting and they're producing these and they're just going out and cleaning. Um, indoors, you don't get that. You've got walls, you've got buildings and if you get into the city, you got smog, you've got all kinds of other pollutants. Um, so, you know, they're, they're having to, IAQ is not a new issue, right? Um, indoor air quality is something that everybody has been talking about but it hasn't really kind of come to the forefront until this pandemic, because of the shared air. Um, so, they've been kind of trying to battle that for a while, but this technology actually recreates that outdoor process by creating those ions. And then, your air from your fan, your existing HVAC system, your ventilation system will push all of these ions out into your ductwork and then into your occupied space, which is the most important part. This is the only technology that actually works in the occupied space. Nobody lives up in the ductwork, nobody goes to the ductwork. We all sit, live, breathe, work, play in our occupied space. So it actually cleans the air within the space that you're in. So How, how do we know? it works there is tons of studies tons of tests um, um, it has been proven independently um, to fight COVID uh, the Spanish government actually did a test on a b over in Spain at the airport um, back in May um, they had been using it for COVID patients and they were trying to turn it back into a b and um, from my understanding um, the technology and uh, was tested along with some other technology and it was proven effective against COVID in 10 minutes airborne um, it was actually also uh, deemed 80 effective on the surfaces which is really important because you know yes we know it's airborne we know that if you cough it's going but we don't think about the surfaces and we don't think about underneath but this actually um, within 24 hours was deemed a clean room so they were able to reopen it back to you know the general public Um, that's kind of important because not only does it clean and kill COVID but flu is way 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 bigger right I mean every year you guys have people that can't go to work you have I mean every person we have a employees that call in sick everybody does the flu's really big this battles the flu it was used in SARS it was used in the norovirus um, pandemics um, so this has been technology that's proven um, it's called needlepoint bipolar ionization it is different than bipolar ionization. Bipolar ionization is what you find in outside and what you find in a lot of portable units. So bipolar ionization, the difference between um, a uh, device that produces bipolar ionization is it can produce ozone, um, which is not healthy for you in small amounts. I'm, I'm told it's not bad for you, but it's not considered a healthy way to get the ionization done. Um, Needlepoint is UL certified. This device um, specifically is UL certified, um, that it does not produce any ozone. Um, it is super small, yep. easy to d- install. Um, I install them at my house, they're, um, they're great. Uh, so and it just really does produce clean air it not only does it do viruses it attacks bacteria E. coli staph salmonella and odors Odors is big. They use this in cannabis grow facilities to control the odors. Um, they use this in casinos to control smoke so, and so
0: odors. So if I go in that cannabis uh, facility, I'm not going to get high, then, right? It's going to
2: kill. If them. they're using this, you're not. If they're using this, it actually you can't tell. Um, there's actually some studies, and uh, there's a study that we can provide that shows where they tested this in a cannabis grow facility, and people were blindfolded and had no idea that they were in one, nice. which is interesting.
0: So let's talk about uh, the types of properties that uh, this might be suitable for.
2: So up until now, um, you this technology has really only been found through um, large distribution HVAC industrial commercial projects. Um, you have a lot of people that have been focusing on the air qual or the um, reduction of the air. Um, I actually my goal is that this is in every home, every business, every restaurant out there, um, which is why I kind of. Um, Took this on um, is because it needs to be. You know, right? We spend ninety percent of our time indoors. That's a fact that everybody can read online. Um, but you're in. Um, it, let's let's say, for example, a quick serve restaurant. That's um, you know, you have. People that work there. They're there eight hours a day. They're breathing. There's food emissions. There's VOCs from where you're cleaning. There's indoor, outdoor. There's people coming in and out. So, you know, the best way for them to provide a safe, clean environment is to be able to have something in the air that is cleaning it. Um, It works in office buildings. um, It works in homes. It works in any business that you have. It's actually using large food manufacturing that's used in um, small offices big offices it doesn't matter is it matter.
0: safe in schools and senior it's, housing it's used
2: and? in tons of schools it's used in senior housing um, schools uh, there's tons of studies about the schools the uh, there's a, a technology institute up in new york that has just rolled this out there was a study done they did for three weeks to not only determine that it does kill covid and all these other viruses and um, bacteria but it Uh, neutralizes VOCs, which is big, especially nowadays. We're cleaning so much more. Um, It's producing more VOCs, uh, which we don't think about because we think we're cleaning with ammonia. You know, it's good for you. It's really not good to breathe. So this neutralizes that. It controls mold. So this is really great for bathrooms, right? So you put this in your HVAC and you don't have to have a special unit in your bathroom. What's already in your HVAC, depending on the, you know, the type of RTU you have or what kind of system you have the air is naturally flowing into the bathroom so it's naturally gonna clean it it's going to do everything that it needs to do so so when the
0: air blows out of the HVAC it's immediately passing through this system and the ions are cleaning the air, and, and that, that's how it works. It mm-hmm. blows past this item. Yep. So one of the things that we're, in the office world, restaurant world, retail, we're trying to get people to feel comfortable coming back mm-hmm. in the building. So if we install these, uh, do we have something that we could share with our, our guests or our, our tenants that to share that, hey, that we're doing this, so this might be a safer place than you think?
2: So our company really focuses in on that. Um, we do quite a few things um, for our clients and one of it, which is we provide a ton of different marketing collateral so you can get window cleans, you can get the um, tents, um, we have banners that you can have printed, we can also customize them with your logo mm-hmm. so let's say Bull Realty wanted to make sure that everybody knew, we would actually use Bull Realty's logo and then it would be kind of a co-branded, um, but basically any kind of marketing that you need um, we'll provide um, you can so have special requests
0: so if somebody comes <coughs> in my store they could see that, that we're, we're cleaning the air with yes. these and, and what, is safe.
2: yeah, and what we do is we um, we put a clean air certification on it, and then we also give the information of the technology because that's important for people to be able to look mm-hmm. um, on some of it. Um, on some of them, we have QR codes so that they're able to go to the technology if somebody wants to learn more about the technology. Um, in my opinion, the technology is the most important. Where you got buy your product from is up to you. Um, we do offer this as a as just a free. Thing because we believe that marketing is the most important. We also tag on social media. So we have a whole social media department um, that's run by some very young people who are very good at social media and Yelp and all of these wonderful things. And what we find is that if we can tag it for you, that takes off the burden from you, plus it allows the local community to know that you've gone above and beyond and now you're doing the most possible to provide a clean environment. That's
0: awesome. And everyone, especially in in commercial real estate, is concerned about cost. Yes. Uh, So tell us about cost.
2: That is actually my favorite part about this product. Um, It is such a small little device, but it does such huge work and the cost is very minimal. So um, these retail around $699. We have special pricing um, that we work with uh, based on quantities uh, with commercial real estate you have a lot typically of of offices, you have a, you know multiple levels, You have uh, some companies have lots of real estate that they're looking at. Um, so we do base quantity discounts and um, you won't find a less expensive technology out there that does as much as this does.
0: And might I save a little money on my HVAC, on my utilities by using it as well?
2: Yes. So that is not my focus because I am not an HVAC company. However, that has been what this has been used for primarily for the last 12 years. It will reduce your energy savings by up to 30 percent. Specifically, with office buildings, school systems primarily because it meets ASHRAE standards to reduce the amount of outdoor air that flows into your building. They bring in outdoor air because it has natural ions. Right. If you're already producing those natural ions indoors that means you don't have to bring in that outdoor air as much Um, now to get all of that information um, we actually work with um, mechanical engineers so they're able to you give us you know kind of what you want they're able to give you the ASHRAE um, paperwork back that tells you exactly what you need to do how to reduce the airflow coming in Um, so we have that we are more of a um, educational marketing get this information out to you and we kind of work with the mechanical years to give that floor plan to you?
0: Well, I like it because when I talk to Office owners, I sell office buildings, and you know I talk to them about, hey, more fresh air, more fresh mm-hmm. air, and they say, well, Michael, that makes it very expensive to cool and heat that building. Uh, so this can kind of it kind of helps in both areas. I like it. Uh, and if you like more information, uh, Michelle, first of all, thank you. Great product. Thanks for getting it out there, and thanks thank for being on the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: And if you like more information, uh, their website is core.green. That's c o r e. dot green. It sounds like a great product. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Vista Property Reports. Use smartphone location technology for commercial real estate due diligence. Visit vistapropertyreport.com slash CRE show. CORE.GREEN. Use Ion technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit creshow.com.